You're listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4 as we continue on with the Great Verses series that we're in. I hope you guys are enjoying this. We're just taking 20 verses, so we're taking quite a bit of effort to give a panoramic view of the Bible and taking some highlights. Now, that's of course a great challenge. What 20 great verses are you going to have when there's just so many? So this is sort of, okay, Lord, what do you want us to do here? So we're in Luke chapter uh, 4. We're in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. The scripture starts out by saying, Jesus here is talking. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And Father, we come now and we pray, Jesus, that you would now speak to us, Lord God, that you'd release the Holy Spirit to have prophetic words for us, that you'd allow, Lord God, our souls, Lord God, to be moved and be saved and be, become your disciples, that your church would rise up and lift up and have all the power inside it from you. And God, thank you for the joy that is found in you. So teach us now, Lord God, that we would be yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen. amen. Okay, so the title of this message is, Liberty is wonderful, bondage, not so much. <laughs> All right? The liberty is wonderful, right? Liberty feels great, and that's what we're going to talk about, especially to talk about the things that Christ here is, is, is speaking about. But bondage, not so much. And those two things are these two options that you have in your life. In Christ, you can be free. You can be liberated. You can be liberated to follow Christ. You can be liberated from so many things that will be holding you back. But the truth is, is that many people, many people are in bondage. And people outside of Christ are in a certain kind of bondage and a certain kind of deception. So liberty is wonderful. Absolutely incredible. Bondage? Not so much. Not so much. So here in terms of our text, Jesus here, this is early in his ministry. We're in Luke's gospel. And Luke likes detail. And so Jesus has gone home. He's going to his hometown. And I don't know if you guys are from here or not, uh, but, uh, you know, you, you come back to your hometown. And sometimes there's not a lot of respect when you come back to your hometown, especially in this part of Nazareth that we're talking about. It's a very small town. So everybody knew one another, as you're going to see in just a moment. And so Jesus is going to do something that is awesome. And you're going to love it. But they didn't love it. They actually were quite offended by it. And they had a quite a strong reaction from it. And so picking it up at verse 16 in particular, it says, And he came to Nazareth, and where he had been brought up. That's his hometown. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue. Now, you can kind of think church for the moment, but he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. So it's very obvious that this was, you know, this is a, a, a very Jewish Hebrew practice. And so they would come together. To, you know, we kind of sit more cathedral style. They would kind of sit actually a little bit more in the round in terms of these synagogues. And the word synagogue here, really interesting. It's actually a Persian word that comes from the days of captivity. And the Jews actually by this time actually had women on one side and men on the other. And I don't know if that's actually what they did in Nazareth. 
That was not what God originally had. Women were there being discipled from the very beginning, just like their men. And they were one with their men and they were one in the family of God. But other cultural influences came on and changed that. And so one of them was Persia. If you read the book of Esther, you realize that women had a very unique role that was very separate from men. That was not what God had. And so when Esther even wanted to talk to her husband, the king, she had to kind of go through this whole ritual in order to address the king. And that's not what God wanted. Men and women were equal. And then the Greeks were, were really gross offenders at this. And this comes into the, the Bible when we talk about 1 Corinthians. And you see some of the challenges there with the Corinthian church were kind of loud and kind of rambunctious. Well, part of that is because the Greeks really separated men and women from learning. And so the women would be on one side trying to learn, what is the preacher saying? <laughs> and they're trying to nudge. They want to know Christ. They want to know God. And all the men are on the other side. And what are the men saying? That. They're saying nothing, right? <laughs> That's, so they're, they're sort of in their guy mode, you know? They're not really. So this is part of the tension. But here, I don't know what's going on. It's possible that they're all together. I don't know. But he stands up here and to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and, the, and found the place where it was written. So this is really a wonderful thing if you've ever seen it, an actual scroll, it's circular like a cylinder, and now they're gonna unroll it, and it's gonna go a little bit of a length, and, and they would have various things to kind of find their places, and then they would begin to read it, and that was all part of a custom, and it's really part of like a custom that we have here to open the Bible, read it, learn to do what it says, and trust God that we'll be blessed with it. So Jesus, though, comes, and he's going to open up now Isaiah, and he's going to open up Isaiah here, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Now, he's in his hometown. And he's going to continue on to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the favor, the year of the Lord's favor, to which we all shout amen when we read that, right? And here is the Lord. He's in his hometown of Nazareth. It's an absolute nowhere place. And he's going to read this and say, I am the actual fulfillment of it. I am the fulfillment of these things. And so, so let's talk about liberty a little bit. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon you. Everyone wants freedom. Everyone wants freedom. It's, it's actually why we really like all kinds of movies. And there's all kinds of academic ways of talking about this, but I'll just bypass it and simply say that we like stories of freedom. We do. We're moved by them. Some are true. Some are just fantasy, but we're moved by these stories. It's why, it's why the entire entertainment industry in large part makes money because we love stories of freedom. We want to hear of someone struggling and then we want to know that they broke through and that they're free of that struggle and we want to cheer them on and we want to sort of try and identify with that. And so, so we love stories of freedom. So here is what I have to tell you and what Jesus is saying here. Only Jesus Christ can set your heart and soul free. And really your challenge and our challenge together is that we actually want other places to set our soul free. 
We want other means and other, other devices. The Bible would call that other God to actually set our heart and souls free. Only Jesus Christ can actually save you from your sins. Jesus Christ is actually the fulfillment as we talk about this uh, verse in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, which we read every Christmas, which simply says, for to us, a child is born. So this is Isaiah preaching. He's going to say, you want to know how to find Jesus? You're going to find him this way. A child is going to be born. A son is going to be given. And this one who is the Messiah, the government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David over his kingdom, he will establish it to uphold justice and righteousness from this time forward. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this, is what the rest of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and on is saying. So here, here is freedom. Here is freedom. Here's a line I want you to understand. Everything changes when Jesus is at the center of everything. You can write that down. You can Tap it right here. Everything changes, not just some things. Everything changes when Jesus is at the center of everything. And so this is the beginning of freedom. This is part of what Christ is proclaiming here. The spirit of the Lord is actually upon me. And I am here to preach this good news. So fascinating that he would be from Nazareth, this very small place, and that he would stand up and say this. In fact, other times in the gospel, they'll say, anything good ever come from Nazareth? You know, that's not where we were thinking the Messiah would come from or some great king. But that's not the way God operates. God operates just upside down. It's an upside down kingdom is how God operates. And so uh, he operates through broken people. He operates through people who are weak and not able. And he does his great miracles. So let me share with you a first freedom. I've got a couple freedoms that I want to talk about here in this text as we work our way through it and kind of maybe hopefully push into some deeper waters. But I want to talk about our first freedom in light of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach and proclaim the good news to the poor. So the first freedom here, which you've probably heard this in a variety of different ways, but it is really a kingpin or linchpin to understand true freedom. And it goes like this. You have to get over yourself. You want to be free, church? So I'm going to ask you, you want to be free? You want to be free? You have to get over yourself. We want to hold on to ourselves in a certain way, and yet we still want that freedom. And you actually have to get over yourself to understand the joy and power and pleasure of the Lord. I'm going to go, I'm going to take you to a cross reference. Give me a moment here because I want to read this to you. I didn't mark it correctly beforehand in Proverbs chapter 22. So give me a moment as I dig this thing up, and here it is. So Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4. <laughs> this is going to get you. It says, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord. So, so what is the reward? What is God promising us? We get over ourselves. We get over ourselves. Here it is. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. You want a good life? You want to be happy? 
get over yourself. You're not going to find it trying to dig in in that sense. What's fascinating about this is that Jesus will tell us that really the fulfillment of the Old Testament, the laws and commandments, is to love God and love our neighbor, right? Love God and love each other. To love God and be someone who is embracing the love of God and bringing the love of God to other people. You know what's fascinating about that? You can't do that if you don't get over yourself. <laughs> part of the nature of giving yourself to somebody else in marriage, part of the nature of giving yourself to somebody else in friendship, part of the nature of giving yourself to somebody else in church, in discipleship, in your family, is that you have to get over yourself to give yourself. And first freedom here is just that, to get over yourself Otherwise, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's something that you'll miss. And you'll take the fact of anointing as some sort of self-effort or carnality, and it's none of that. It's actually something very, very different. There was a, um, I, I think it might have like 20 million hits now on a YouTube uh, short. It's actually actually just this. It wasn't part of a channel. It just, just was a mom, and there was a mom who had a boy, we don't know the boy's name. This has been out maybe about eight or 10 years. And so um, she had, it looks like somebody else or her filming her, her son who's maybe like four or five. And this guy's, this guy's all that. So as we turn out, uh, the mom's name is Karen. And we know that because the little boy's obviously listening to somebody else in the household call his mom Karen. And whoever else is in the household, probably an adult, is saying no to Karen. And so the mom is actually trying to do her son right. You know, she's trying to, she's trying to, she's a great mom. She's actually really hanging in there. And so, so here's what the little boy is saying. The little boy is saying, oh, but no, Karen. No, 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 no. We don't butter the corn that way, Karen. Right? <laughs> Just like that. And so, and, so, and so he's trying to, so she's making dinner and, and she's cooking. Oh, no, no, Karen, Karen. You don't, don't burn that again, Karen. <laughs> he's like four and five years old. And, so, and so, so he's constantly telling her no. No, 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 Karen. No, 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 Karen. Trying to give these instructions. Well, here's what's fascinating. So when you watch that, I, I, you know, I challenge you to try and you know, watch that without dying of laughter. It's absolutely funny. It's absolutely funny. One is a little three or four-year-old kid. But it's not funny with an adult. In fact, that actually destroys relationships. And so in our, in our, in our early days, sometimes with the Lord, we're, we're trying to learn this. We're trying to sort of our, our native response where God says, hey, listen, I love you. Go and love that person. We go, no, 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 Jesus. No, you don't know what they did to me. I want you to go love them for me. No, 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 Jesus. No, 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 no. And we, we get that habit of saying that. And so, so we'll move on now. First freedom is to get over yourself. Second, second freedom here, proclaim the good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. So this is actually very fascinating. This is physical. This is spiritual. This is emotional. This is economic. And the word literally, the phraseology of good news to the poor, the word poor here in this context is people who feel like they have no honor or have no honor, who have no influence or have no resources. If you feel like you have no honor, you feel like you have no influence, you feel like you have no resources, that's generally a definition of poverty. 
And so, church, here's what I want us to know. Our church, the Ranch Church, needs to continue to go on offense on missions, whether it's related to Maui Rescue Mission or other places, even locally, where people are hurting, to get into and we're praying and praying for church planting and to show ministry and hospitality to our neighbors, to absolutely double, triple, quadruple down on reaching families and youth and kids in our community. We absolutely, like we, the day is over. Like, the, like we, we are actually on a precipice. We are actually on an edge. There's no room for apathy. We actually have to reach a new generation, a next generation. We ourselves have to do it. And what's fascinating when you talk, for example, to youth, they just want to know, do you love and accept them? You might look at yourself and say, well, I feel older. How am I going to relate to someone younger? You know, most of them don't have mom and dads. And I'm sorry to say that most of their mom and dads are not good. Like they're really not. Like you hear the kid's story, you go, what is going on in the homes today? And you can go and love them. Invite them into your home, invite them into your family, invite them into some sort of relationship and you will watch the gospel come to them. But we as a church, I'm praying to push us really and to move us into missions, into mission work, the church planting, into reaching our high school, into reaching every single school here, into reaching our families and our neighbors because we're not gonna let the devil take them. That's what it comes down to. And so... So good news to the poor is those who, those who really don't know Christ and those who actually are removed. And then those, of course, in the physical world who do not have certain kind of blessings behind them. You want to be happy, let God use you in incredible ways and be living for a true and divine purpose. Jesus will go on and he'll say, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So a captive in this context is someone who's considered a prisoner of war. So really fascinating that Jesus would take from Isaiah from so far before and then proclaim this here, that there are people who are actually captive as prisoners of war. And so the next bondage I want, or next freedom I want to talk about is actual bondage itself. And let me see how we can do with this. So bad habits are a great example of bondage. You know, that's a great example of that. Bad habits, bad habits with food, alcohol, sex, money, all of that is a real examples of bondage, bad habits. And many people are trying to break bad habits, but then find themselves in that cycle over and over again. And Jesus here is saying, I'm proclaiming liberty to those who find themselves in that kind of bondage. And so whether you know it or not, our church, we teach on this a lot, but there's a spiritual war hovering around you. And that spiritual war has actually been trying to take you out from the very beginning. and has been trying to work you and ruin your life. And Christ is victorious over that. And I wake up in the morning, just like I did even now for my church this morning, praying for you all. And, not, and my prayers for all of you are that the devil has no permission to touch you. I stand in the gap as a man of God, not allowing anybody in the ranch church to be in bondage to the schemes of the devil. I stand there. And Christ will says he will honor that new covenant prayer. I stand there. And I'm inviting you for your families to join and join in praying over your family. And it is that authority that you exercise and you do it daily and constantly. 
and you see victories uh, in, as, in, as a result of that. Freedom from bondage is awesome. It really is. And in Galatians, I'm going to give you an example as I just teach a cross-reference here. So in chapter 5, verse 1 of Galatians, Paul's going to say, For freedom in Christ you have been set free. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery, which is a way of saying God has broken off these things from you. He's going to, he's going to, he wants you to stay uh, free. He, he doesn't have one day of liberty. He has a permanent liberty for you. And uh, if you find yourself in bondage to something, then know that that freedom is there and ongoing. At the end of the chapter, Paul is going to begin to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And he's going to say these things in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the next one? Do you know it, church? Galatians 5, 22, 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, right? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, so let's just talk about these for a minute as we talk about bondage. So, so how many of you this past few days had some sort of negative tape going in your head, right? Raise your hand. How many of you had a negative tape? All right, so that's sort of our humanity because we have pain from the past, because we have devils and demons that want to lie to you. And so I could ask, which I'm not going to, to raise your hand, how many of you guys were believing those lies, right? And so it's very tempting and very easy initially to believe those. I had a few this week myself and just feeling, I, I kind of, the language I like to give it is feeling slimed. Ever felt slimed? You know, like these lies are coming over you and just feel slimed. And the devil is such a opportunist. So oftentimes it comes when you're weak, when you're kicked down, right? And so, and so, so to this, we have this freedom, this freedom of love and joy and peace. And that is really kind of our relationship with God. You think about your relationship with God. God wants to bring you love, his love. He wants to bring you joy, his joy. He wants to bring you peace, his peace, Jesus being that Prince of Peace. That's like your relationship with God. But then when you look at this list in Galatians chapter five, verse 22 and 23, you realize that there's kindness, goodness, and faithfulness and gentleness. And so that fruit is what operates like on this plane with us, right? Our relationships. Do you want your friends to be kind to you? The answer is yes, right? Do you want your kids to be kind to you? Yes, right? Do you want your mom and dads to be kind to you? Yes, right? So we, we want this kindness that operates here as we are bearing this fruit from the Holy Spirit, this goodness and this faithfulness. That's what we offer to other people, gentleness, and then self-control. Self-control is what I like to call the soul fruit, because if you have self-control, you are bulletproof and cannot be defeated. Self-control. Self-control will powerful, powerful. You think about having self-control over your emotions, over your habits, over your attitudes. Self-control will set yourself free. So when I preach like this, people say, okay, pastor, what do I do? What do I do? Do you want to know what to do? I got to wake you guys up. The Spirit's got to wake you up, right? You just want to know what to do? All right. So here's what you have to do. Don't listen to yourself. Preach to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. That's the devil or the flesh, right? That's usually the devil or the flesh that's talking to you. All the negativity, all the negativity. That is not God. 
Don't listen to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. That phraseology that I just gave you is actually an oftentimes training manuals for young pastors. Like, okay, well, how do we preach? How do we preach? Well, the first thing you train a young pastor to do is to actually preach to himself. <laughs> to actually take of the word and soak it in and soak it in and preach that same word to himself so that there's an embodiment of it in the spirit that therefore can come out to others. And so you don't listen to yourself. You take the word of God and you preach to yourself. That's how you get free from bondage. That's how you begin to understand the fruit of the spirit. Understanding that you're in a spiritual battle. And so Jesus will go on here and speak about and speak about a, a sight that we must see. And in Luke chapter, where am I at? In Luke chapter six, Luke chapter four. My Bible's here. Luke chapter four. Jesus is going to talk about sight to the blind and recovering of sight to the blind. I wonder how many of you miss seeing good things in front of them. And a lot of times there's really good things in front of us and we miss it. And I think when I talk about here being free, having liberty, liberty's wonderful, bondage not so much, that some people kind of will sort of in their mind when they think about a word like this, you know, recovering of sight to the blind, that's a physical blindness, that's a spiritual blindness. People will think about like the worst thing and then think, okay, that can be broken out of that. Well, that's good. But I want you to think about the best. I want you to think about the best marriage. Is the best marriage going to make your life completely happy and satisfied? You know what the answer is? No. How about the most amount of money? The most amount of money. Like whatever that is for you. And some of you can probably dream some big zeros. The most amount of money, is that really going to make you happy and satisfied? You know what the answer is? No. And you can go on that related to sex and friends and even church. You know, okay, the best church, the best church. You're going to be happy in that, however you conceive it? No. The truth of the matter is, is that this next freedom is that you can be free to be satisfied, but you're not going to be satisfied in these things. You're going to be satisfied by, you're not going to be satisfied by externals. You're going to be satisfied by the soul and the heart as Jesus actually opens your eyes and lets you see his glory, as Jesus actually opens your eyes and let him see the forgiveness of sin, as Jesus opens your eyes and lets you see the power of the gospel. So one way pragmatically by which you can practice satisfaction is to do something that you've heard of before, but you think of it only one year around Thanksgiving, and that is to practice daily gratitude. You have to practice daily gratitude. I mean, to have recovery of sight to the blind here, as Jesus is talking about, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, is to actually be in a habit where you are actually practicing gratitude. Most people go throughout their day, and at the end of the day, they think about what went wrong. What went wrong? What went wrong? You know what you need to do? You need to think about what went right. That's the beginning of gratitude. What went right today? And there might not be a lot but you'll have one thing. And so you want to actually begin to practice that gratitude so that you can have spiritual eyes to see and enjoy really the satisfaction that God has. 
Liberty to those who are oppressed. The word oppressed actually has to do with brokenness and those who have actually been crushed and those who have actually been set down and to proclaim the year, the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus reads this and he says these things and he continues on in the text. Verse 20 says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and began to say to this Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at these gracious words that were coming from them. And they said, is not Joseph's son? In other words, they're worried about the family. And then he's going to tell them that they have their faith completely wrong. And they're going to try and push him over the edge. And then he mysteriously just is able to go all the way through the midst of them. I've read this story so much. I've tried to figure out how how did he do that? You'll see it in verse 29 of that chapter. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which was the town was built and so they could throw him down on the cliff. But passing through their mist, he went away. I mean, I've looked at that verse so much. Like, How did he do that? The whole town's going to try and throw him off. And in the spirit of God, so strong. And I was like, you guys can't touch him. I'm just going to go right through you. And goes on his way. There is a year of God's favor that can come upon you. That's a spiritual terminology. Despite all of your hurts, the challenges that you have, the hardships that you have, there is a year of God's favor. There is a favor that can come upon God's children with great and wonderful power. It comes through Christ. It comes through these principles that we're actually talking about. It comes when we actually accept them as our Savior and Lord. It comes as we actually give our lives to Jesus Christ. It comes when we actually raise our hands and say, Lord, if there's a year of favor, then I am saying yes to it to come upon me right now. It's an agreement, an acknowledgement. It's a faith that we exercise by which we would actually just fall down before God, be humble before him and receive everything that the new covenant has for us that we could be people who bring glory to God. And so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And just ask you to respond to that in some way. Ask, ask you to acknowledge that you want that year of God's favor. Ask you that you want to leave sinfulness behind you, that you actually want these new waves of the Spirit to come upon you, that you actually want freedom. And if you feel in bondage, I have great news for you. God has freedom for you this day and every day. He did not create you and design you to be broken and downcast and oppressed and demonized and addicted. He actually created you for his glory and freedom. You are to belong to him and not the devil. You are to belong to him and not sin. You belong in the family of God, in the church of God, in the faith of Jesus Christ. That's where you belong. And so I'm going to pray, just ask you guys to respond. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, we come now and we pray, God, that we would be people who believe you, God, who trust you, and who proclaim and acknowledge your truth forcefully in our lives. And so, Jesus, I stand now in the gap of your church, and I proclaim a denial of demonic activity over our church, your church. 
I deny, Lord God, depression and brokenness as the, as the permanent spirit by which people would live their lives. I proclaim freedom to the captives right now. And so I pray this, Jesus. I pray that you would set your church free from all the hurts and pain that hold them back. Feelings of failure and, and actual failure that there would be a restoration, God. Thanks for listening to the Ranch Church Podcast. For more information and service times, go to ranchchurch.com.